You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Finished, The End of the World and Our Way of Living in It. In this series, we see that the powers and principalities of this world are finished, and our depraved way of living in this world is finished. Christ leads us into a new way of being human, and eventually, an entirely new creation. Word of the Lord from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It is wonderful to be with you all. My name is Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. And our mission at Sojourn is to reach people with the gospel build them up as his church, and send them out into the world to follow him. And I'm excited for lots of reasons this morning. Uh, We see where some of that mission comes from in the text that was just read for us called the Great Commission, which marks the end of our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, We've been in it over two years now, and I'm supposed to say thanks be to God for the Gospel of Matthew. It's been quite quite a journey, and thank you all for being through it with us. Uh, Next week, we're starting a series on the book of Titus called This Beautiful Church, It's a timely series for us to consider as we're coming back. Some of you, this is your first Sunday back uh, from the pandemic. And so on the heels of all the things we faced in the last year, what's it look like to be the church? What is the church? And what would a beautiful church look like? So we'll be spending some time through that. Then we've got the book of Proverbs, we've got Ecclesiastes, and then boy, we're going to hit it with Genesis in the fall in a series called Sacred. Some of y'all need to know the Bible starts in Genesis 1, not Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to talk about what that means in the fall. So that's the next you know year or so of sermons. Uh, another way that we reach people with the gospel is through partnerships. Uh, you've heard us talk about Harbor Network before. It's a church planting network that we've started uh, several years ago now that starts churches all across the country. And there's a lot of churches there now, but also here locally, the Sojourn Collective. Uh, We were a church plant from another group of church plants. Um, Sojourn Midtown was our first location. And so there are six other churches in the greater Louisville area that we partner together with for all kinds of things. And one of the ways we do is we preach at each other's churches. Uh, A couple of months ago, or a couple of weeks ago, I guess, I preached at Sojourn East. Uh, Some of you remember uh, Pastor Jamal Williams was here a couple of months ago who preached from us from Sojourn Midtown. And so to bring us home here, we got my man, Dr. Pastor Jarvis Williams from Sojourn Midtown. Uh, Jarvis is, listen, I've been practicing this. I want to get this right. Jarvis is the associate pastor of New Testament interpretation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Did I say that right? That's all right. Not the associate pastor. Associate Associate professor, sorry, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in church mode. Uh, he's currently on a writing sabbatical from Southern right now. He's, I think it's six commentaries you're writing. You've written one on Romans, written one on Galatians, and you've got like 11 books coming out this year. Uh, so he's very smart, and a, he's a prolific thinker, writer, author, uh, but he's also a pastor 
Um, he preaches regularly in Shepherds at Midtown, and I am grateful uh, that he's, decided, he's been willing to come and preach with us and to end our series on Matthew with us this morning. So uh, help me welcome Dr. Pastor Jarvis Williams to the stage. Jarvis, thank you. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for the power of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. And we're also thankful, Father, that, that in the gospel, your saving righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written. The righteous one shall live by faith. And Father, we thank you that we, as your people, have received the benefits of the gospel because of Jesus' wrath-bearing death for our sins and his victorious resurrection from the dead. So Father, as we come to this moment in the Gospel of Matthew where the exalted Jewish Messiah over heaven and earth meets his disciples and gives them this final commission. We pray that we would receive the message of your word, that you would give us the joy of pursuing disciple-making of every tongue and tribe and people and nation and fill us with the certainty that you will always be with us Lord Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. And may that Spirit help us this morning to hear what you want to say to your people. And I pray that you would give me the strength to give your people a clear word from your word this morning. So Father, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On this well-known text we finally come to the end of Jesus' physical ministry on earth. Here, he commands his disciples to take the gospel to all the nations, to make disciples of all the nations. I want you to imagine this moment They've seen him executed on the cross. And they're trying to recover from the shock of his resurrection. As we know from the text, some doubted, the text says, even as they saw him. And his commission to them, this Jewish Messiah, who absorbed the wrath of God for Jews and Gentiles, he tells his Jewish disciples to take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he gives them the promise that he would always be with them. Frankly, I love simple sermons. That's the point of the text. That's the message of my sermon. Let me state it again to you. 
before we walk through the passage. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the sovereign and resurrected Jewish Messiah over the entire creation, over heaven and earth, over Jews and Gentiles. And he commands us to go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them everything he commands us. And he gives us the promise that he will always be with us. Let's see it in the text. First truth. Notice he commands the disciples to make disciples of all the nations. Notice verse, for example, verse 16 and 17 give us a bit of the context. These verses tell us that Jesus met his disciples, verse 16, at Galilee. And verse 17 tells us that it's fascinating that some saw him, some worshiped, but others doubted. And then in verse 18, he speaks to them. He tells them he's been given authority over heaven and earth. And then verse 19, here, here's the command. Here, here's the first point. He says, you go and make disciples of all the nations. Let's camp here for, for a moment. This word, first of all, verse 19, nations, there's a lot of talk about what does Jesus mean by this term. You've noticed I've said nations. In your translation, reading from the, NISV, the, excuse me, the ESV, it likely says nations as well. But the term is likely a term that's closer to the idea of, of ethnic groups. That, that, that is, he's, he's telling these Jewish disciples to take the gospel to non-Jewish people. You understand what I'm saying? And, and, and it's okay to talk back to me this morning, all right? Do you, you understand what I'm saying? So he clearly is not ignoring the Jewish mission. He is a Jew talking to Jewish people. But here's what he is exhorting them now to do. He's saying, you, Jewish disciples, you take the gospel now to Gentiles. You, in other words, you make disciple, disciples of, of all ethnic groups. You, Jewish followers of mine, you extend the boundary markers of the people of God to include tongues and tribes and peoples and nations. Now, you have to remember this, brothers and sisters. We are the Gentiles. He's not talking about those other people. We are those other people. Black or white or brown or Asian, pick an ethnic group. Unless you are Jewish, you are a Gentile this morning. So he's telling his Jewish disciples, don't forget about us. Now this is a massively important statement. And it is a post-resurrection shift in Jesus' ministry. If you remember earlier on in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, 
He tells his Jewish disciples, don't go to the Gentiles. You remember that in Matthew 10? Read it this afternoon. Matthew 10, verses 5 and following. He says, only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go anywhere near the Gentiles. Because as Matthew says, remember earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is coming to save his people, the Jewish people, from their sins. Now, of course, Matthew has always anticipated the fact that the message of the gospel was not only for Jews. The message of the gospel from the very beginning of creation has always included this worldwide mission to bless the nations of the earth. That is, in part, I think, what Genesis means when it says in chapter 3, verse 15, that God was going to crush the seed of the serpent by means of the seed of the woman. And the means by which he does that is through Abraham, David, and then Jesus, ultimately, who's the seed of Abraham and the seed of of David, to bring about the realization of this worldwide redemptive promise, promise for Jews and for Gentiles. And Matthew makes it clear, doesn't he? He makes it clear throughout the gospel regarding, regarding Gentile salvation that, that he includes them in this redemption because he gives us a genealogy of a Jewish heritage and a Gentile heritage of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, for example. And he also shows us that Jesus heals a Gentile woman. But for the most part in the Gospel of Matthew, are you still with me? I'm a teacher preacher, okay? Are you still with me? I got some practical application, but let's just sit in the text for a little bit, all right? And we'll apply the text at the end. The important point to catch here is that now, it is explicitly clear that the mission of saving the world through the blood of Jesus is not only for the Jewish people. It's for Africa and Asia. It's for Indiana and Kentucky. And he's telling these disciples before Acts chapter 2, this is what's coming. And this is what I'm inviting you, in fact, commanding you to pursue. You get out of your comfortable Jewish territory and you go to Gentile people as well as to Jewish people. But here's a question I want to ask you. Why? Why the shift at this moment in the gospel? Again, remember, earlier in the gospel, we get glimpses that this is where Matthew was going. Just read chapter 1 again and notice that Gentile and Jewish heritage in, Gen in Jesus' genealogy. And yes, we get glimpses throughout the gospel of Matthew that this is where the gospel is going. But why now, after the resurrection, before the ascension, do we get explicit exhortations to take the gospel, to make disciples of Gentile people? I think the answer lies in verses 
in verse 18. Notice back in verse 18 for a moment. He says, All authority in heaven and upon the earth has been given to me. And then notice now the transition in verse 19. Therefore, you see that connection? Now, whenever you see the word, you've heard this before, I'm sure. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, ask yourselves, why is it therefore? Now, I know it's bad grammar, but but ask yourself, why is therefore therefore? Why is it therefore? It's therefore to show you there's a smooth connection between the command to go and make disciples of, of all ethnic groups, Jewish and Gentile ethnic groups, and Jesus' authority. In other words, here's why you have the shift. Because he has completed his mission on earth. And he is now speaking to them collectively before he ascends for the first time as the exalted, resurrected, newly installed king over heaven and earth. He has always been the son of God. But there was a moment in history where the son of God, who has always been in the beginning with God, took on flesh, became a Jewish man, and died and resurrected from the dead. And this moment in his life is the moment where he is speaking to them, not simply as the Jewish Messiah, but as the exalted Jewish Messiah. Does that make sense? As the crucified and resurrected Jewish Messiah. To whom God has given as the God-man comprehensive authority over heaven and earth, over everything earthly and demonic. Therefore, because Jesus is the exalted king of the universe who has conquered the power of sin, death, hell, and the grave. Therefore, go. (laughs) Isn't there some comfort there? He doesn't say, because you guys are so faithful, therefore go. Because you have so many gifts and you're so articulate and you're so full of the Spirit, therefore go. Well, we know the Spirit's coming, but the Spirit doesn't come until after the resurrection and fill the hearts of the people of God. So Jesus is telling them, you go Because I've been given comprehensive sovereignty over everything. You think with me for a moment. Think back to that language in Daniel chapter 7. Remember that story in Daniel 7, that that image that Daniel records, where he says he sees a vision of of one like the Son of Man and the Ancient of Days. And in that vision, the Son of Man is exalted. And he comes to the Ancient of Days, who is God the Father, sitting on the throne. And and the Ancient of Days, God the Father gives the Son of Man authority. And guess what he gives him the authority over? Over the nations, tribes and tongues and people. And guess what the nations do in response? They show allegiance to the Son of Man. The nations belong to Jesus Christ. Every tongue and tribe and people and nation. And Jesus is saying, this is the moment that Daniel, in my view, that Daniel anticipated. 
And you, brothers and sisters, are invited into that moment. Not to sit around and navel gaze about your own personal piety. Yes, we read our Bibles and we pray and we practice the spiritual disciplines. But the mission invites us not to sit around and talk about the mission, but to do the mission. Because Jesus is exalted over heaven and earth. So that's my first truth this morning. Jesus commands us to make disciples of all the nation. Now, what's a disciple? Notice he doesn't say, go make converts. You notice that? He doesn't just say, get people saved so they can go to heaven. He doesn't say that. I think discipleship assumes a person's converted. But if you believe the mission is simply to get folks to pray a prayer to receive Christ and that's it, you don't understand the mission. The mission is holistic. It's about spiritual formation and transformation. The mission is to do what he says in verses 19 and 20. He tells us how to do this. Notice verse 19, for example. How do you make disciples? It says, go, make disciples of all the nations, or I'm understanding this, of all the ethnic groups. And now verse 19, here's how I think you do it. You do it by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In other words, in the authority of the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Spirit. One God, three persons. Understand this. This is very important theologically. God the Father did not become the Son. There's one God, three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. And they are co-eternal. And they share the same God stuff, but yet there's distinction amongst them because the Father is the Father, the Son's the Son, and the Spirit's the Spirit. And they're all three one God. And you say, explain that more. I can't. <laughs> but the text does say the name of the Father. One name. Three persons. Name of the Son. Name of the Spirit. So every, belief, every disciple, I don't understand, there's no, con, there's no concept, no framework that, the, that Jesus had that would include non-baptized disciples, in my view. What, what demonstrated to first century Christians and to the world that they were following Jesus was their willingness to die with him in baptism. That's what baptism, in my view, is it's a visible picture that you are following Jesus. You're dying to yourself. And then you're raised to walk in newness of life. That's why, I'm a Baptist, right? That's why we believe immersion pictures that most beautifully. There are persons immersed all the way under the water. They are buried and then they're resurrected into new life identifying to the world, identifying to the world, they belong to Jesus. No, baptism doesn't wash away your sins. It proclaims that your sins have been washed away because you have faith in Jesus. 
In the first century, they did not sing just as I am and have an invitation to come forward and pray a prayer. You know how they got baptized? You know how they showed that they were believers? They got baptized. And then they obeyed Jesus. And one act of obedience was baptism. Now, let me say a practical word here. This doesn't mean, okay, this doesn't mean if you share the gospel with someone and they convert, you take them down to the Ohio and baptize them independently. We know from the New Testament that baptism is a church ordinance like the Lord's Supper. And so we know this is very early in the Christian movement, isn't it? We're, we're, we're getting the early seeds of what it's going to look like when we get into Acts. People are converted, they're baptized by the apostles, but eventually they are baptized by the local church under the authority of pastoral leadership. Am I making sense this morning? Here's the basic takeaway. Here's my point. My point is, is that our desire and Jesus' expectation is to see people's lives committed to Christ. And baptism is, is the first act of obedience to show that. But he doesn't stop there. He says, you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the authority. You don't baptize people in the authority of the pastor. The pastor's authority is only underneath the authority of Scripture. Same thing about the church, right? You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. But then notice this. Notice in verse 20, he says, you baptize and you also teach them to keep everything I commanded you. Notice what he said. Now, I'm not saying this is all there is to discipleship, but at least this is discipleship. You are baptizing people and you're teaching people what Jesus taught. Church is not a club or a social event. Discipleship is not simply getting together and drinking coffee. I'm not saying anything bad about coffee. But there are lost people who can do that. Discipleship is transformational. And there's no transformation apart from teaching. You've got to teach people stuff if you want to make disciples. And what you teach them is what Jesus taught. Now, of course, we teach the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. I hope you are a Genesis through Revelation Christian, not just your own special verses Christian. But Jesus' point is, at the very least, here's what people need to hear. What does it mean to be a Christian? At the very least, it means I follow Jesus' teachings, such as love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> it's hard to recognize who is and who is not a Christian these days because of that fundamental violation of that principle, right? There are those who are talking a lot about Jesus, but they have, they have no evidence of love or compassion. And, and by the way, teaching, I'll say more about this later, teaching is formal and informal. You teach by your behavior. But I think he's speaking more specifically about cracking open the Word of God and helping people who are following Jesus understand how to obey Him. That is crucial to discipleship. Teaching them everything that Jesus taught. Let me tell you something. A lot of the things that Jesus taught 
will not make you popular. If you want popularity, you need to find another faith. If you want a faith that will save you through Jesus and that gives you a cross to carry, you're in the right place. And, and that requires then, doesn't it? That requires, that requires the third truth. To know that Jesus is with us. Because here's the deal. If you do what I'm saying, what Jesus is saying you should do, you're going to receive pushback. You're going to receive opposition. And you're going to become afraid to be faithful to the mission. And you'll be tempted to run to a particular tribe ideologically. But Jesus says, no, here's the mission. Make disciples of all ethnic groups, baptizing them and teach them what I taught y'all to teach. And in third truth, I'll always be with you. Look at verse 20. It says, behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. That is a very encouraging verse. Hope that verse encourages your, encourages your soul. Jesus is not a God who gives you instructions and leaves you to yourself to work them out. He's not like a coach who has no control over how the players play. The coach can draw up all sorts of great plays, but he can't execute them, right, himself. He has to entrust those players to do what he said. And if they don't, he'll pull out his hair or she'll pull out her hair. That's the way coaching works in part. He or she can't control how the game is played. He can only or she can only guide the players to play the right way. Jesus is not like that. He comes from heaven to earth bears the wrath of God for our sins, resurrects from the dead, and gives us His abiding presence by the power of the Spirit so that the Spirit in us is Christ in us. Not because Jesus is the Spirit. That's not my point. My point is when the Spirit of Christ is in us, Christ is in us. And we know we get the Spirit in Acts. We know that that's coming. But I think Jesus' words here are anticipating that. So, so here's the exhortation. Brothers and sisters, fulfill the mission because Jesus is sovereign and he'll always be with you until the end of the age. When's that? Until he comes back. Until he returns. Let me say a word about, more about the end of the age. There's so much I could say here. But we currently live in what the New Testament calls elsewhere as the present evil age that's dominated by sin and the devil and demons. And Jesus is saying he is sovereign over that. That's what Matthew at least means when he talks about Jesus is reigning over heaven and earth. That his sovereignty is comprehensive. The demons reign beneath the feet of Jesus, but Jesus reigns over them. 
So his reign, his kingdom breaks into this present evil age, defeats it, hence the resurrection, and he gives us the promise that we too can experience victory in the mission because he will be with us always. Well, why does that matter? Because he himself conquered the present evil age. So he'll always be with you. Now, I know it's scary still. I'd be lying to you today if I said I don't have fear and anxiety about the mission. But the mission and the king of the mission breaks into that fear and enables us to persevere because he's with us. So here are quick practical applications. Number one. Brothers and sisters, we must, we must understand that Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, demands our loyalty, our complete loyalty. And he wants us to be about the business of making disciples of all the nations, both locally and globally. This is not a message about just going over there somewhere across the Atlantic. This is a message that starts here and now in New Albany and extends over into Louisville and and crosses over sea and land. It's a message that starts in our homes and our communities and is inviting us and and commanding us to lean into that mission. We don't all lean into it in the same way because we we all have different gifts. But here's the question. Are you leaning into the mission? Or is your view of the mission simply, I'll just come to church and let the pastors tell me everything I need to know and let the pastors do the discipleship work and I'll just go home and carry on with my life. Well, Jesus says, that ain't the mission. Pastors equip the people of God for the work of the mission. So the invitation is is to understand that we are all invited to be loyal to Jesus and to be part of the mission. And let me tell you, God can use your gifts, spiritual gifts and vocational gifts as means by which to help carry out the mission. You don't all need to go run into seminary to get equipped to go do the mission. Some people go to seminary, but the mission is rooted in the gospel and the spirit of God. And God himself equips the people of God to carry out the mission. And he gives us gifts spiritually and vocationally as means by which we can carry that mission out. So if you are a nurse, if you are a school teacher, a business person, a doctor, you in, a, in your own unique, wise, creative way, careful way, can carry out the mission. Does that make sense? Second, application. There are so many things that are the source of our fear. And and rightly so, we're human beings. We, We get afraid. Life is so uncertain. Life is, I don't, I'm convinced, I'm 42 years old, so I've lived for a little while. There's really no safe place on earth. There are safer places, but no one is safe from death. 
Everybody dies. You can have great health care and still get sick. But Jesus says, even in the midst of that, he's with us. So my encouragement to you, brothers and sisters, is don't be discipled by cable news, regardless of what your favorite choice is. Don't be discipled by your favorite celebrity preachers on podcasts because they don't know you and you don't know them. I'm not saying God can't use them. He can. But, but understand the importance of your local church and your faithful pastors whom you know and whose lives you watch as the ones to whom you look to equip you for discipleship. And then you equip each other for discipleship. Does that make sense? That's how this thing works. And then together we lock arms to carry out the mission. And finally, of course, Jesus doesn't want us to be stupid or unwise. He doesn't want us to be, there's nothing spiritual about being unwise. There's nothing godly about being reckless. There's some people who think, well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm courageous. I'm going to be reckless. No, there's no, there's no courage in recklessness. Even Jesus himself knew when and when not to go to a certain town because his life would have been taken. You follow me? So you use your common sense. But here's, here's a practical word. Jesus wants us to entrust ourselves to him and to recognize that we can't be about the business of discipling others if we ourselves are resistant to discipleship. You can't, you can't disciple others if you're not a disciple. <laughs> you know that? If you're not reading your Bible and praying, if you're not growing, if you're not walking with Jesus. You know, let me just say this to you. As, a, as an academic, there are many Bible scholars in the world who know a lot about the Bible but don't walk with Jesus. They're not disciples. So I'm not just saying fill your mind with information. My point is, is that if you want to be a disciple, you've got to know the word of God. You've got to be disciples yourself. You've got to walk with Jesus personally and corporately. So brothers and sisters, because God raised Jesus from the dead and has given him all authority over heaven and the earth, Therefore, receive the invitation to make disciples. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.